Today begins the season of Advent, of watching and waiting, watching and waiting for the newness we hope may come. The newness we want desperately but cannot figure out how to bring. There are signs all around us, are there not? Luke's Gospel says that people will faint with fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. I have had that foreboding this year. After the shootings in Charleston at the AME Church, for instance, or in the flood of millions of starving Syrians, or in the jihadist terrorist attack of France, these are signs. There are no words for the horror of these signs. And one might say that we, as a culture, are witnessing the destruction of our temple, as had the Jews of Jeremiah's time. Our old temple of moral certainty, our supreme security that the American way was the right way, no matter what we decided to do. The video of Laquan McDonald being shot 16 times was released this week, and it was a sickening video. But it was not as sickening as the fact that we aren't surprised anymore. These are the signs and symptoms of a soul sickness of our own making. The sickness which calls itself autonomy or self-determination or individuality and means really that even when we are making ourselves sick, we can't give up. If we don't see a way to make our plans work, we keep doing what we think will make it work and that my friends, is enslavement. The language of the gospel is sometimes seen to be about the end of time, when Jesus will come again to vindicate the people of God for all times. The idea of the end of time is enough to scare us all into paralysis. If the end is near, there's precious little to be done. On the other hand, the gospel says also Avoid self-indulgence. Do not be weighed down by dissipation and the worries of this life. Be alert, we are told. Pray. Why? Because what is going to happen is not predetermined. Even when we are as crazed and bent on destruction as we seem to be, there is still time to change things. 600 years before the death of the time of Jesus, Jeremiah said, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made. In these days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem, that is us, will live in safety. In the poetry of the Old Testament, God says, wait a minute, you're not in this alone. Every breath you take is part of my breath. Stop trying to do it alone. Jeremiah is talking to the Jews at the time when they are struggling to adjust to the fact that their old identity with the temple is gone because the temple is gone, and on the other's hand, the Assyrians are here and they are enslaved. I think it must have seemed like the end of time for them, but there is Jeremiah insisting that God will bring radical change, and for me that's the crux of the whole matter today. It may be that we are in the last days of life as we know it, but that does not mean that there is no room to change the outcome. It may be true that we can't imagine a way to change the, the way the world is going, but that does not mean it is too broken for newness. The God of Jeremiah and of Jesus is radically unpredictable and completely unknowable. 
things we don't really value. We like our God to be predictable and at our own behest. The problem for us is that we are almost, not completely, but almost, hopelessly convinced that we know what is best for us. The self-help book industry makes $10 billion a year. Self-help, $10 billion. In many ways, it seems easier for us to remain slaves to our own desires for control because it seems that either we are slaves to success or we are slaves to someone else. Because we're a pretty either-or people. The Jews of Jeremiah's time thought that either they had old temple religion or they were slaves to the Assyrians. Either America is the mightiest nation on earth or it's enslaved to terrorism. And so we grow attached to the ways we have of living our own lives, even when it is obviously and treacherously keeping us from becoming whole and holy people. We confuse our ways with God's ways. So let me tell you just a little story about that. My dearest friend, Megan, who gave 28 or 29 years of her life to running the foster care branch at our agency at St. Vincent's, who is one of the most selfless, effective social workers I've ever met, came to a crux in her life. She had, for all those years, held the group together by the sheer force of her love and her persistence, but, but Megan is one of those social service sl slaves, I would say, who think that work comes before everything. I myself know something about that. I'm sure some of you do. But when Megan's arm began to hurt, she ignored it. You know how that goes. You convince yourself that pain is good, that overwhelm is virtue, that only you can do everything you're doing. Up is down. Violence brings justice. Unequal distribution of resources is just reward. War is peace. We convince ourselves of that. Slowly, Megan began to lose the use of her arm. I would pick up the phone and hear her sobbing. She couldn't type. She couldn't drive. She was in pain. Finally, she gave up when she couldn't sleep. And her boss, who had had the same Kool-Aid, was horrified that she had to take six weeks off. Because Megan had convinced herself and her boss that the families in the program would suffer too much without her, and no one else could do all the work. So she had the surgery and her arm got better, not altogether better, but better. But something wild and wonderful happened. In the time she was gone, her boss had to help run the program, and he finally understood what had happened, and he began to say publicly that we could not continue to do this the way we had been doing it because it rested too completely on the exploitation of Megan. But here it is. Megan began to say, to her utter amazement. She, who loved foster families with her whole heart, didn't want to go back to all that work. The miracle for her was that she really hadn't understood that it was not helping anybody to put off the surgery. And having the surgery opened all kinds of doors to all kinds of people. This is the work of the God who says, the days are surely coming when Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the work of the God who is right there when we finally say, right or wrong, I can't do this anymore. Megan's arm was killing her, but her mind said, 
that all that slavery was holy work and giving it up felt really selfish to her. The invitation of Advent is to think with imagination about how we are clinging to those things which might be killing us. Because when we are killing ourselves, we are not whole and holy people. Advent is the time to contemplate how we are ignoring our pain in the service of our will to hold on what we, and not God, has created. We can never know what newness is possible for us, but we will never know until we stop blocking God's work in our hearts. Today, my friend Megan is working with the Indian tribes of Auburn, and her arm is good. Advent is here for four weeks. It's little enough time, but it's enough time. It's time to look inside and see how we could free ourselves. This Christmas, let something new happen in you. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.